PlayStation 5 just fell behind the sales of PlayStation 4, but does it really matter? Good morning, good Thursday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for February 3rd, 2022. It comes bright and early every weekday to our patrons who pledge at patreon.com sifted, and it's delayed a couple days for everyone else. If you like our content, we also have a separate podcast feed for our flagship show, Game Face, that you can find by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So Sony announced today that PlayStation 5 sales have hit 17.3 million total by the end of 2021. Within the equivalent time frame, the PS4 had sold 20.2 million units in total, which means that the PS5 is being outpaced by the PS4, despite what we're told is unprecedented demand. And I have no reason to not believe that that's the case. I can see it with my own eyes. I was shopping all through the holiday season. I never saw a single PS5 on a store shelf. I only saw one Xbox Series X on a store shelf throughout all my shopping pursuits, and they were extensive. As a result, Sony has dropped its full-year outlook for PS5 sales from 14.8 million units to just 11.5 million units. That seems crazy. <laughs> really? You're only going to be able to produce 11.5 million units after you produced 17.3 million units last year? I get it. There's a huge logistical challenge right now with getting these consoles produced. There aren't enough chips... Even once you do get the consoles produced, it's a problem getting them shipped from the factories to stores. I get all that. But we're in January, and PlayStation is already saying it's going to sell 6 million less PS5s this year than it did last year. The red flags are going up. <laughs> in fact, maybe one of the smartest things you can do right now is get in line to get a PlayStation 5 to, and I hate to admit it, to sell because if there are only going to be 11 million units available this year it's going to be a bloodbath for ps5s particularly towards the end of the year and i hate to encourage scalping but if you buy direct from playstation you just get put on that waiting list and eventually you get one and who knows what the value of a ps5 is going to be by the time the end of the year rolls around i'm also starting to wonder too though if people are starting to give up, are they frustrated at this point? I know some friends who are frustrated. They still haven't got one. I told them, look, just go to PlayStation, get on the list, and just wait your turn. And they just don't want to do it. They just assume that they're going to come across one eventually. Or a friend's going to get one, and they're going to be able to buy it that way. Or I might get one and sell it to them. But they're delusional. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So it's a fine line to walk here. I mean, it, we've reached a place where manufacturing and logistics are just as big a part of the game as creating compelling exclusive software. To me, the guy who can produce the most units in the next 12 months is probably going to win the year. 
it's it has nothing to do with Game Pass or God of War coming out this year or Horizon coming out this year or any exclusive for Xbox. It's about who can make the most machines and get them to consumers. That's where we're at. Now you would expect some of this stuff to start lightening up a little bit as we get into 2022. This Omicron wave, so many people have got COVID at this point that there aren't going to be that many hosts left for the coronavirus. So you would imagine that even with the three months or however much immunity you get from having COVID, that should give us a nice break. So uh, Sony, I feel like, is erring on the safe side here, saying it can only produce so few units, 11.5 million units. That's so little. So little. So either Sony is erring on the side of caution or it knows something that the rest of us don't know, which is terrifying. And it makes you wonder, you know, both PS5 and Xbox Series X, they don't have the same components, but they have similar components. Components that are close enough that if one console is affected by chip shortages, the other one probably is as well. But if somehow Microsoft can figure out a way to get 25 million units out it could go a long way towards making up the deficit that it finds itself in right now the good news for sony is that playstation plus subscriptions are up a little bit right now playstation plus has 48 million subscribers that's impressive for a service that launched so long after xbox live to already have 48 million subscribers for playstation plus that's that's a good number another thing of note A higher percentage of software sales are digital now on PlayStation platforms, so a lot of you guys aren't buying physical anymore. All right, now for some more stories from the top of your SIFs. In a crushing blow to my video game fantasy team, today Bloomberg ran a story stating that Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is going to be delayed into 2023. Now... That's after the game was already delayed from 2021 to 2022, which is why I drafted it on my team. And I don't want to make this about my stupid video game fantasy team. It's more about we're not going to play Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League in 2022. It has been eight years since Rocksteady released a video game. Eight years. That is, that's Rockstar level development that's leaving naughty dog in the dust what's going on over there i would assume some project that it worked on for an extended period of time was canceled there's no way that they could have worked on this game for eight years there were rumors about a superman game in development that never was shown and then we get this eight years how many publishers will put up with an eight-year development cycle. A studio sitting there for eight years without any output. I can think of two. PlayStation and Take-Two with Rockstar. That's it. So Rocksteady is getting the Rockstar treatment in the development of this game. It makes me very nervous that it's taken this long and the game's not ready still. It's crazy. Now, to be fair, WB Games has not confirmed this story yet. Bloomberg says it has sources close to the game that have told them this. And then Bloomberg is also pointing to a tweet 
from Warner Media CEO Jason Kalar. He went on Twitter last week to remind people of all the games that were coming out this year. And the tweet had logos for Hogwarts Legacy, which, wow, okay, um, and Gotham Knights. But Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League was not there. So between these two things, their sources and the tweet, Bloomberg is saying delayed out of 2023. It's only January. Well, February. It's like the first couple days of February. And already? Rocksteady knows that the game's not going to be done by the end of the year? It just said it was going to be ready like a month and a half ago. What changed in like 80 days that they now know for sure that it's not going to make 2022? The story doesn't make sense to me. Bloomberg's reporting is never wrong, so I'm not questioning it. But man, something's going on over there. Dying Light 2 comes out on Friday, and its reviews came out today. And unfortunately, they haven't been that encouraging. Also, I would add, on my fantasy team. (laughs) Right now, its Metacritic average is sitting at 77. But this is one of those games where... The reviews are all over the place. There are reviews as low as like 6, 6.5, and then there are reviews as high as 9.5 or 10. And it's settled in, as of right now, at a 77, which isn't great, considering where I drafted it on my video game fantasy team. Again, don't want to make this about me. Most of the complaints about Dying Light 2 are the bugs, and apparently for some people... It has been overwhelming, the amount of bugs that are in the game. Other people have only kind of mentioned them offhandedly, and those tend to be the scores that are up in the 8s and the low 9s. The people who are giving it a score of 6, they seem to be the ones who were hit hard by bugs. And some of the bugs have been bad. One outlet reported that it completely corrupted their save, and that the save will no longer work until a patch is issued for the game. Just crazy geometry problems, falling through the world, stuff that we've seen before, but it just seems really prevalent. So that's the big ding against it. The other ding is the story. Um, People say that the characters are great, and the plot itself isn't that bad, but the lead character is a real drip. They say he's just a blank piece of paper who isn't very charismatic and doesn't really help carry the story. And again, a lot of these reviews also praise the supporting cast and say that there's tons of memorable characters. Um, They also say that the branching story isn't as extensive as they had hoped before they played the game. Um, Who knows if they've dialed that back in the time that they showed the game back at E3 2019, because I know I was impressed with that element of the game way back when, but... You're also just seeing a vertical slice at E3 where they can basically set it up to make sure everything works as awesome as possible. So I always keep that in mind when when I'm shown games at conventions. But I have to admit, I'm surprised at how low the scores are. I'm surprised that the game is as buggy as it is. This game has been in development for seven years. No excuse for it to be this buggy after all that time. There just isn't. So Techlands let me down here a little bit. I have not played it yet. I'm going to get started on it tomorrow. We'll talk about it in next week's Game Face, but just a heads up, if you're thinking about diving in early, there are definitely some caveats with Dying Light 2. Ghostwire Tokyo is a PlayStation console exclusive. It's coming from Shinji Mikami, the creator of Resident Evil and his little studio that he's been working on games with for quite a while now. It is also a Bethesda game, and there was a deal put in place with Bethesda and PlayStation before Bethesda was bought by Microsoft, so Ghostwire Tokyo, yet another 
Bethesda game that's going to be a timed exclusive on PlayStation. We know hardly anything about the game still, and it's launching on March 25th, which was announced today. What was also announced today is that later on today, there is going to be a PlayStation showcase for the game at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Maybe we'll finally learn what the game actually is and how it actually plays. It seems silly that we still don't know that after all this time, and it's coming out in about a month and a half. It appears to be some kind of a horror game. I really, it seems like you can possess P. I don't even know. I really have no idea what the game is, but we should know again at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern today. And it's coming out on March 25th. Turning back to PlayStation, the platform holder plans to launch more than 10 live service games before March 2026. So, four years, essentially. 10 live service games. Now, we wondered why PlayStation paid so much for Bungie. And, well, PlayStation kind of told us. You know, they were a live service company, and they really valued their expertise and wanted to use them as a resource to help build out more live service games, a.k.a. games as a service, a.k.a. games loaded with microtransactions, a.k.a. ongoing games. <laughs> PlayStation is really bereft in that, if you want to call it a genre, in that genre. So it does need help, and it's called in Bungie, and in fact, there are several quotes that PlayStation issued today talking about, really, how they appreciate Destiny and the new IP that Bungie is working on called Matter. But what it really got it for was to help it with all these live service games. Uh, so if you have 10 of those going four years from now, that's a lot of recurring revenue rolling into the coffers every month. And then I start thinking about, okay, well, what are those games? So I already mentioned Bungie's Matter. I would just assume that that is going to be a game as a service because that's why Bungie was purchased. Bungie says all its games are multi-platform as well. So PlayStation will be making money off of the game on its platform, but also all the money on the other platforms for all the microtransactions, all the cuts that it gets for all that stuff, it will be making on multiple platforms for Bungie's game. Then you have Twisted Metal. They're working on a reboot of that. I'm guessing that will be one of the live service games. Naughty Dog has been working on a Last of Us multiplayer mode that now is separate from The Last of Us Part Two. We're not sure what's happening with that. There were rumors it was being developed by other studios as well. And that's it. That's really all I've got. Like, maybe they bring back PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale or something. I don't know. But 10 live service games in the next four years? They better get to work. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. For today's episode, I'm going to talk about video game stories. We just discussed this on Game Face this week. Matt and I discussed how Hollywood is adopting and adapting far, in my opinion, far too many video games into either films or TV. And I have said for a really long time that the best video game stories are the worst film and TV stories. But 
is that true anymore? It's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, Hollywood's taking all their ideas from video games now because they can't come up with any on their own, and at the same time say out the other side of my mouth, but gaming stories aren't as good as film and TV stories. I think they actually at this point may have caught up. Now, not in a general sense, I think that statement's still correct. There are lots of games that don't have stories at all. There are lots of games that have stories, and they are terrible. But I would argue that the cream of the crop for gaming stories are better now than the worst film and TV show stories. Whereas before, I, I couldn't say that, and I wouldn't say that. So I do feel like the best prose in games has ascended to a place where it is better than your lock, stock, and barrel Netflix series or Amazon Prime series or whatever. Games like... The Last of Us, Red Dead Redemption 2, and there's not many beyond that, (laughs) I'll be honest. But still, the fact that there are some games that have kind of reached that status to where they actually are better than certain films and TV shows, that's, that's an achievement. And some people would argue that video games are better without stories altogether. I think a lot of those people are kind of like me who grew up in the arcades, and they at least appreciate the fact that video games don't have to have stories. But I would argue for the most part, video games with stories are better than those without, even if it's just a simple premise, something to keep in the back of your mind to keep driving you forward. And I think what it's really come down to is that some stories are better told via film, and some are just better told via games. A lot of films are written to be that perfect 90 minutes, but video games like that are chided for being interactive movies instead of actual games. This is why gaming IP is usually better as a TV series instead of a film. The stories are designed to live across dozens and dozens and dozens of hours instead of this popcorn-sized 90 minutes to two hours that you expect from most feature-length films. I can name a thousand films that would never work as a game But it's hard to think of too many games that wouldn't work as a TV show or film. Examples of films that generally don't work as games, comedies, biopics, stuff like that. They just don't translate well to games, unfortunately. Now, while I sit here and I say that I feel like game stories have gotten a lot better in general, and there's a few examples where I feel like they actually eclipse the average TV show or the average film, I will admit that recently I've found myself skipping story segments in games way more than I used to, particularly over the last couple years. I've found that a lot of the exposition in video games is needless. They just are over-explaining very simple concepts that they're trying to portray. Two examples of late, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Arceus. I I got about 15 hours into that game, and I just started skipping and just stopped reading the story. I could literally just watch the simple animation on screen and know what the what's happening with the story. Halo Infinite was the same deal. Most of the cutscenes in that game were like at these terminals where... You, he would, where Master Chief would sit and talk with the weapon, aka the new Cortana, or it would be one of the bad guys at some futuristic sci-fi terminal being beamed in, or he's a hologram or what. It's very simple to understand what's happening without listening to the dialogue at all. So that doesn't bode well for game stories. However, there are exceptions, and I do feel like overall the level of storytelling in games has improved. There are things you can do in games that just simply you can't do in a film, like a branching story path. 
I do wonder if there will come a day where we can all go to a movie theater together and we can vote as an audience on branching story paths in films. I, it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to do, but it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it is. But for now, if you want to play a branching story where you actually have agency and control over the story, that's only going to happen in a video game. And I think that's why you're seeing gaming TV shows be more interesting and more entertaining than films based on games because you have a long time to tell a story. When I watch the Witcher series on Netflix, I feel the same rhythm in the show that I do in the video game. How long it takes to tell the story, the long arcs, the payoffs that happen after hours and hours and hours of exposition, where exposition actually matters. And so I feel like story, the stories in games definitely work better in TV shows, but they can work as films. But I will say that a statement that I've made for literally two decades has come to the point where it's no longer true. And I have to admit that the best video game stories are better than the worst stories from film and TV. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I hope you've gotten over the hump of the week and you're headed towards the weekend just like me. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. We'll be back with another episode of Good Morning Gaming tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another. <laughs>